Good morning. It is good to see all of you here. Thank you for coming and joining us uh, this morning in worship. And we are glad that you're here. If you've got your Bibles, and I hope that you do, please take them. Turn with me once again to the book of Genesis and to chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. I was in my, in my time of study this week, I was reminded of an experience that I had a few years ago uh, when I went to the same hospital to make two different visits. Um, in the first room that I went to, I was blessed to hold a newborn baby. And y'all have seen me before. I always like to get my hands on them babies. I just love that. And I, was, I walked into this room, and the mom and dad were just more than happy to put her up in my arms. And I walked around there and cooed and cod and made all over her, and it was wonderful. And I was able to pray with a, a mom and a dad who were just beaming with pride and excitement over their new little baby girl. And uh, there was a lot of happiness in that room. There was a lot of, a lot of tears of joy. Uh, taking place there. Then I left that room and made my way down the hallway of the elevator and I went up a couple floors, went into another room where a family had gathered to say goodbye to a husband of over 50 years, to a father. And it was obvious that death was looming. All of us knew that it would not be very long. Much like that room couple of floors down there was a lot of tears in this room too but these were tears of sadness and tears of grief tears of loss it was at that moment that I was reminded of the words of the apostle Paul in the book of Romans where he he says this rejoice with those who rejoice mourn with those who mourn and I remember praying the same prayer part of it in both rooms I prayed Lord be with this family. Now, in the first room, I was praying, Lord, be with this, this mom and dad and help them to realize that the love that they are experiencing right now for this young little baby girl is only a, a reflection of the love that you have for them. And that the same pride that you have in what is accompanying this birth of this child is, is, is the, the, the same lavishing of your grace upon them. Help them to be able to experience that. Help this little girl be with her so that there's never a day in her life that she doesn't experience the nearness of your presence. Two floors up, I pray, Lord, be with this family as they walk through this very deep, dark valley of death. Help them to know your presence is still just as near to them today as it was months ago when everything was going well. You see, that's what I believe. I believe every child of God needs to understand how utterly essential God's presence is. Every child of God needs to know that God abides with you. To know that he is with you both on the mountaintop and he is with you in the valley. He's with you in the good times. He's also with you in the bad times. No matter the situation we face, the one anchor and the one hope that believers have is that the Lord will be with us. Throughout scripture, we read this promise again and again and again. The Lord tells us, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. 
as a matter of fact, Will just prayed that in his prayer just before I came up, that we would never, we, we know that we, he will never leave us, he will never forsake us. In Christ's final words in the book of Matthew, the last words that he says after he gives his great commission to go out in all the world and to make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, he gives this promise and this assurance. He says, lo, I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. As one has put it, without his presence, life holds only despair, but with it, there is confidence and hope regardless of the circumstances. That is what I believe is the overarching message of our text this morning. Chapter 39 of Genesis really covers a time frame that scholars say is somewhere between a decade to 12 years. And it covers a period of time in which Joseph, we find him on a slave auction block. And then it moves until he is in the house of a man named Potiphar. And then the chapter ends with him in an Egyptian prison. Yet throughout all of the highs and the lows that we will read about here in chapter 39, we will see that the Lord was always with Joseph. So that's the, that's the theme of our text this morning. Let's pick up and let's read it together. Chapter 39, verse 1, we'll read these words. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God. So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. So it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them saying, See, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came in to me to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with 
words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came in to me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. Keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray together this morning. Our Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this opportunity that we have been given to gather into your house. To read it and to think about it and to explain it, to ponder it. I pray that you would help us, just as we've sung this morning, to allow your truth to impact our lives. Give us wisdom to understand. Give us discernment. And Lord, I pray that it would continue to point us to Christ, our only hope, the one who has promised, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. This is my prayer, and I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Now, other than Joseph's coat of many colors... I believe probably his resistance of the sexual advances of Potiphar's wife are probably, that's probably what he's most known for. It's probably one of the, the things that most people think about when they think of the story of Joseph. In fact, this passage is often used as the quintessential um, illustration of what it means to resist and, uh, temptation and to maintain one's sexual purity. And certainly that is a critical element in this narrative. In fact, I think it's, it's absolutely essential to understand that. But I would suggest that that is not the main theme of this, of this passage. In fact, I believe very clearly M- Moses has established the main theme of this passage through utilizing repetition uh, to emphasize to his readers that God was with Joseph throughout everything that occurred in his life. In fact, the emphasis on the presence of God with Joseph is something that is repeated both at the beginning of the chapter and at the end. In in interpretive terms, it's called an inclusio. It's it's a bookend. And and you can see it very clearly there in verses 2 and Uh, 3. In fact, if you wanted to underline it, this is the proper time to actually take ink and put on the pages of your Bible. That's what I've done with mine. You can underline here. Notice what verse 2 says. The Lord was with Joseph. Verse 3, the Lord was with him. And then at the end, the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. That's how, that's how this passage begins. He begins by stating that very, very clearly. And then notice down at the end in verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph. He gave him favor. Verse 23, the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Now, As I mentioned, the events described in this chapter occur over an extended period of time. But God's presence with Joseph throughout this narrative is clear. 
And it's demonstrated in, in, in at least four conditions in which Joseph found himself. And I've listed those, those conditions really become the, the points for our text to kind of hang our thoughts on as we work our way through this passage. Notice the first one. God's presence is clearly demonstrated in that Joseph was protected. That's the first word, protected. Now, the word protected may seem like an odd way to describe Joseph beginning, particularly at the beginning of this chapter. After all, he had just been, you know, if we pick back up to, to chapter 37, we'll, we'll note that he had just been sold by his brothers to a passing band of Ishmaelites who were on their way to Egypt, and he was sold as a slave to those Ishmaelites who then took him went to Egypt and then sold him again to a man named Potiphar, who Moses tells us was an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard. Now, though all the details aren't explained here in verse 1, in this verse we get an unfortunate picture of, of a human being standing on an auction block, likely with very little, if any, clothes on, and he's being ogled and he's being stared at and he's being poked and he's being prodded. Probably even went by and made him open his mouth so that they could look in and see the teeth that he had to see how healthy he was. No doubt, Joseph was treated more like an animal than he was a human. Furthermore, it should be noted that here in verse 1, he didn't speak Egyptian. Joseph was a Hebrew. He spoke Hebrew. And so he very likely didn't understand even all that was being said to him. When he was given a command to do something, he probably didn't understand it and was even physically manhandled to make, to do the things that he was told to do. He didn't understand what he was going through completely. But here he was, likely still a teenager, surrounded by strangers in a strange land, chained to a block so that he couldn't run away. And all he could do was search the faces on the eyes of the people who were standing around him to try to get some sort of understanding as to what was going to happen to him. It's interesting, later in Genesis, chapter 49, when Jacob, Joseph's father, reflected on the things that Joseph went through when he went to Egypt, he writes these words in Genesis 49, verse 23. Jacob says, the archers have bitterly grieved him, shot at him, and hated him. Jacob's words give us a graphic depiction of what Joseph went through when he was first taken to Egypt and the vulnerability that he had. He was exposed and he was alone and he was disappointed and he was fearful. And yet, as verse 2 tells us, the Lord, even through all of that, was with Joseph. The capital letters that you see there of the word Lord indicate that this is his name. This is Yahweh, the sovereign covenant-keeping God who had made his covenant with Abraham and then confirmed it with Isaac and confirmed it yet again with Jacob. This same God was the God who was now with Joseph, even in the midst of all that had happened to him. And if we contemplate his situation, we will realize that the Lord demonstrated his presence to Joseph by protecting him. How? Well, as, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, one of my favorite pastors to listen to is, is Alistair Begg. And Alistair Begg says in his sermon with regard to this text, he said, Joseph was protected by God's presence. He was protected from the silent killers of life. And he was protected for 
a unique purpose. Now, I'm not going to preach beg sermon, but I am going to tell you what he meant. What does it mean to be protected by God's presence? Well, Joseph experienced the same thing that the psalmist writes about. In the, in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 9, verses 9 and 10, the Lord, we, we read there that the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name, he says, will put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. The psalmist goes on to write in Psalm 27, verse 5, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. In Psalm 46, verse 1, the very first words, and you know you've heard this one, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. And in Psalm 138, verse 7, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. God, God protected Joseph by his presence. Listen, Joseph had been yanked away from his father. He had been taken away from his earthly father. He didn't know if he'd ever see Jacob again. But even so, nothing could separate Joseph from his heavenly father. God was with Joseph. And just as God promised to be with the nation of Israel in Isaiah 43, verse 2, he says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. So he was with Joseph in Egypt as he passed across the auction block. So Joseph was protected by God's presence, but I mentioned he was also protected from some things as well, those silent killers that Alistair Begg calls him. The text doesn't tell us specifically, but if we just use our reason, we can understand that that Joseph was protected from certain things that, that all of us would probably understand completely. Self-pity, anger, bitterness at what he was going through. Nowhere in this passage do we read that Joseph succumbed to any of those things. Now, was he sad? I'm sure he was sad. Was he hurt by what happened to him? Absolutely he was. Was he lonely? Did he miss his father? Did he miss his home? Sure he did. Who wouldn't have? But Joseph never allowed those things to become walls in which he imprisoned himself. If, if, if ever someone had a reason to be bitter and to be angry and to be resentful and to wallow in self-pity, Joseph did. But God protected him from those things. So God... So Joseph was protected by God's presence. He was protected from those silent killers. And then finally, he was protected for a unique purpose. It's that for a unique purpose that really is the theme of this entire passage, right? He was protected for something. God was actually using the circumstances into which Joseph had been thrust as a means by which he was going to bring a greater good. That's exactly what the theme of Joseph's story is all about. It's why we get when we get to the end. In Genesis chapter 50 verse 20, he can look his brothers in the eye and say, everything that you did, you meant for evil, but God intended it for good. Why? Because many people will be saved as a result of what took place. Joseph was protected. Even on the slave block, Joseph was protected. So implicit in the first verse of this text is that Joseph was protected. But then notice the next point on your outline, because here we get to the explicit things that the text tells us. Beginning in verse 2, we find that Joseph was prospered. He was protected, and now we see that he prospered. Notice that we read in verse 2 that he, that as a result of God's presence with Joseph, he became a successful man. 
As we said, Joseph, he didn't wallow in self-pity. He didn't become disillusioned. Rather, he obviously learned to speak Egyptian. He, he learned the ways of the Egyptians. He learned the ways of, of, of serving in, in a rich man's home. And he used his God-given abilities. And as a result, God blessed him. In fact, God's hand was upon Joseph's life to the degree that it became so evident to Potiphar that he even recognized it. Verse 3 states, And his master saw that the Lord... There's the capital L-O-R-D again, that Yahweh was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. Remember, Potiphar was an Egyptian. Potiphar was one who worshipped false gods. He was a pagan. And yet even he could see that there was something different about this Hebrew slave that he had purchased and was now serving in his home. Joseph, Joseph didn't need to go around and, you know there's something special about me, right? You know, come on, hey, you know. know, Joseph didn't need to do that. He didn't need to throw his chest out and brag. He just served. He did what he was supposed to do, and he did it with such a manner that it became obvious. Not with his words, but with his deeds, it became obvious that the Lord's hand was upon him. And Potiphar, being the smart man that he was, knew a good thing when he saw it, so he promoted Joseph. The text makes that abundantly clear through the repetition. I don't know if you picked up on it when we went through, but in verse 4 we read that Joseph became the overseer of Potiphar's house and all that Potiphar had he put under Joseph's authority. Then in verse 5 we read again that Potiphar made Joseph overseer over his house and all that he had. And then again in verse 6, Moses tells us that Potiphar left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he did not know what he had except for the bread that he ate. There's a little bit of debates what that means. It just means Potiphar probably liked his own food better than he liked what Joseph would have picked for him. That's the way I look at it. But that's all the the only decisions that he made. Joseph made all the rest of them. Then Moses tells us in verse 5 that Potiphar prospered as a result of doing that. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, and the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Here we see once again that the sovereign God who makes his promises and keeps his promises is doing exactly that. You remember what he promised Abraham? I will bless those who bless you and curse them who curse you. Right here, Potiphar is blessing Abraham's descendant Joseph. And what is God doing to Potiphar? Blessing Potiphar. He is experiencing blessing as a result of blessing God's servant. So, though he was a slave, he was, still, he was still Potiphar's slave. He nevertheless enjoyed a measure of living, according to verse 6, that was worlds away from how things had begun as an illiterate and uninformed slave on the auction block back in verse 1. So, we have seen the protection and we have seen the promotion. Now, this would be an awesome place for us to just kind of sum the sermon up and we could go out and... This would be a great place if I could just figure out how to end it and say, listen, this is my application to you. Just be faithful. Just be faithful to what God calls you. Work hard. Trust God. Do your best, and God's going to bless you. Listen, there's a lot of folks that preach that to you. Problem is, they stop too short because the text doesn't stop here. Listen, a lot of folks would tell you that if you'll just do what God tells you to do and love Him and 
Trust Him. He'll bless you. He'll move you up the corporate ladder. He'll make your star to rise. Just keep trusting and believing. He'll promote you just like He promoted Joseph. The story, as I said, does not end there. And as I pointed out at the beginning, the story is not about Joseph. The story is about God and about the faithfulness of God. And therefore, our attention must not be diverted away from the primary point that Moses is making. You see, this is a passage that tells us about the absolute necessity for believers to know that God is with us all the time, in every situation, in the good times and in the bad times. So notice with me that we move from recognizing that Joseph was not only protected, he was also promoted, and next we see he was pursued. He was pursued. The last sentence of verse 6 introduces us to what comes next in Joseph's life. Moses tells us that Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Those same words are used to describe his mother Rachel back in chapter 29, and it's the only other time that those words are actually used to describe anyone in the Old Testament. In other words, Rachel, Joseph, Joseph got his good looks from his mother. And evidently, he was a good-looking, striking young man. The NIV translates it this way. Joseph was well-built and handsome. It's interesting. In his commentary on this passage, Gordon Wenham states, Amid Joseph's many blessings, he suffers from one endowment too many. Stunning beauty. Now, that'd be hard for us to imagine. Then, How can beauty, how can, how can being well-built and handsome be a hindrance? Well, notice, notice that his good looks attract the attention of his master's wife. Verse 7 begins, and it came to pass. Potiphar's wife cast longing eyes upon Joseph, and she said to him, lie with me. Ken Matthews notes that this is a transitional verse that indicates that it happened over the course of the passing of time, which means that over the time that Joseph was, star was rising in Potiphar's house, he had attracted the attention of Mrs. Potiphar, who, as she watched him, she began to take notice of him more and more, and over that time, her passions toward him became inflamed. In other words, she liked what she saw, and she wanted it for herself. Now, the fact is that Mrs. Potiphar wasn't making a suggestion to Joseph when she gave him the command. It, it was a command that she said to him. The verb in the Hebrew is an imperative. But, but Joseph refused to comply with her command. Interestingly enough, her command to Joseph is only two words in the Hebrew. But Joseph gives a whole paragraph as to why he would not follow through and do what she told him to do. Read with me again what he says in verses 8 and 9. He says, look, my master does not know what is, in, what, what is with me in the house. He's committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you. Because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness? And sin against God. Now, notice Joseph's refusal to sleep with Potiphar's wife rests on three lines of argument. First, he argues that it would be a professional abuse of his master's trust. 
He's given me all this stuff. If I, that, that's an abuse of trust that he's placed in me. That's the first line of his argument. The second line of his argument is this. He says it not only would be a, personal, a professional abuse, it'd be a personal offense against him as your husband. You're his wife. I, I can't do that. But the third line of, offense and, uh, of the defense, and this one, this one is the greatest. This is most important. He declares that doing such a thing would be a sin against God. Now consider this. Think about it for just a moment. Joseph is in a foreign land. He was a slave with no rights. In all likelihood, had he complied, no one would have ever known it had been behind closed doors. It would have probably benefited him. It would have helped his stature and rose him higher up the ladder. He was a young, virile man who had natural and physical desires that could have been satisfied in such a liaison as this one. Even though all of those excuses could have been used for reasons to go ahead and go through with it, notice those reasons were not enough to sway him. He says, no, I will not do what you command because God is with me and his presence is with me and I cannot, I will not sin against God. See, even though Mrs. Potiphar pursued him, and as the text goes on to tell us, she didn't just stop with the first pursuit. She went after him harder and harder and harder. Joseph continued to resist because he was a man of principle, but even more so because he knew that God's presence was with him. Now, I want you to compare that with what we know about another character in the Scripture, one who came many, many, many years later. His name was David. David saw Bathsheba. David became the one who actually did the pursuing. He became the one who actually went about getting her to come to him. And David certainly abused his power. And he certainly was guilty of the personal offense of, against Bathsheba's husband. But even more severe was the fact that David was guilty of sinning against God. As a matter of fact, after he had been convicted of that and found himself guilty. He prayed this prayer in Psalm 51. He says, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. And he says, Against you, and you only, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Here's the point that I want you to see. The primary realization that separated Joseph from David in these two examples, the key issue that Joseph focused on, which kept him from entering into sin, with Potiphar's wife, the same thing that David forgot about when he sinned with Bathsheba was God's presence. David remembered it, but he remembered it after the fact. Joseph remembered it beforehand, and it kept him from sinning. This is, this is why I say that this episode in Joseph's life is included in this larger story. It's there to show us that even when we are tempted... Even when we are pursued as Joseph was pursued, when we are enticed into a situation that we know is not right, even if, even if no one else will know, we should remember that God knows. Why? Because his presence is always with you. And when you sin, your sin is primarily and ultimately against him. So, We've seen that God has been with Joseph in the bad times and when he was in the pit and when he was in the auction block protecting him. 
We've also seen that God's presence has been with Joseph in the good times when he was promoted, when he enjoyed the blessings of God's favor and of Potiphar's favor. And we've realized that God was still with him even when Joseph was being pursued by Potiphar's wife. God has been with Joseph all the way, which leads us to the last word that I want us to see this morning in our text. He was with Joseph even when he was imprisoned. He was with Joseph even when he was imprisoned. Our text continues by telling us, as I said, that Mrs. Potiphar was not someone who was used to being told no. And as a matter of fact, being told no really probably just caused her to want him even more. In fact, her pursuit of Joseph only intensified the more that he refused. But he continued to refuse her and steadfastly deny her what she asked for. Finally, on one particular day, no one else was in the house. Verse 12 tells us that she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me, again giving him the same command, but he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. Now, as I mentioned earlier, this is the quintessential passage that portrays for us exactly what we should do when we are faced with the temptation to sin, be it sexual sin or something else that we are tempted by. Here's here's what we need to do. Run. Run. Some, one, one person, one person was, was making a, 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 a comparison that, that, that the Marine Corps has, has the slogan, we need a few good men, but taking that same idea and putting it according to the biblical structure that we hear, God needs a few good cowards who will run away from temptation. And run away from sin. When the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, to his young protege, in both of the letters, he tells him, flee from sexual temptation. Flee from the temptations that come upon you. When James writes to to his group, he says, look, here's what what you need to do. Submit yourself to God and flee from the devil. Run from him. Submit to God. Resist the devil. And this is what I would tell you. I would love to tell you that every if you do that, if you if you flee from temptation, if you run, if you run from it, and if you resist the devil, I would love to tell you that everything's going to work out good. I'd love to tell you that everything's always going to be fine if you'll do that. But here's what you need to notice: it doesn't always work out fine. Things don't always end up tidy and neat. Obedience to God is not always met with positive response. In fact. Mrs. Potiphar was now a woman scorned. And and she had the garment of this slave in her hand. So she immediately realized, I've got to concoct a story. And so she called the men of the house in and said, look, this is what happened. I was here. He came in and wanted to take advantage of me, this Hebrew, to mock me. She used the word Hebrew. It was not a, a positive. It was a deriding term. And she said, when I yelled out, he went out of the house. She kept the garment so that when Potiphar came home, she repeated the story again. And said, when I yelled, he left. And notice that she tells in verse 17, she even implicates Potiphar. She goes, this is the Hebrew that you brought to us. So we read in verses 19 and 20 that Potiphar was angered. His anger was aroused. And then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison place where the king's prisoners were confined and he was there in the prison interestingly enough open parentheses Potiphar had really believed Joseph had done what he said he did he probably had him killed a lot of folks think that but he didn't 
He put him in prison. Close parentheses. But that was still bad. The 105th Psalm says this in verse 18. It depicts what happened with Joseph this way. They bruised his feet with shackles and his neck was put in iron. Now can you imagine how Joseph felt at this point? Felt betrayed. The pain, the the heart-wrenching feeling of betrayal. Knowing that you were suddenly ripped out of your position as the MVP of Potiphar's house to now suddenly being thrown into a dark, dank prison. And all of that had happened because you had been falsely accused when all you tried to do was remain faithful and honest, not abusing your power, not taking advantage of your situation. No doubt Joseph had those thoughts pass through his mind, but once again, he never succumbed to them. Moses doesn't give us any indication that those, he was angered or self-pitied. He could have shaken his fist at God and yet, why are you doing this to me? Why did you let this happen to me? That could have been his response, but it wasn't. You see, God had not abandoned Joseph. In fact, that is how the passage closes, as I read for you earlier. God was still with Joseph even in the prison, even in the chains. Verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison and the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hands all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Now there is much more left to come in this story. But what I have attempted to do is to point out again and again through this chapter that Moses is directing our attention to the fact that our circumstances, whatever circumstances we may be in right now, do not dictate whether or not God is with us or not. And Moses is writing this story, remember, to a fledgling nation of Israelites who are wandering in the desert who were about to go in and overtake the land of Canaan that God had promised them. And they needed to hear this message because they still had a lot of mountaintop and a lot of valley experiences left in front of them. They needed to be encouraged that regardless of what was in front of them, they could face it because God would be with them. Brothers and sisters, you and I need to hear that message this morning. God's presence with us does not guarantee that we will always have a smooth road or continual pleasant experiences, but we are guaranteed of his presence. In my house growing up when I was a kid, my mom and dad had this plaque on the wall, and some of you will immediately know it, and some of you are going to look at me like, what are you talking about? It was footprints in the sand. And and, and the long short of that plaque, talked about how there were always two footprints in the sand walking down the seashore when God was walking with us. But then there were some points where there was only one set of footprints in the sand, and those were the most difficult moments in the person's life. And they want to know, why, God? Why is there only one set of footprints at that point? And God looked at him and said, because, child, it was at that moment that I was carrying you. I didn't abandon you during those moments. I didn't walk away from you. I picked you up and wrapped my loving arms around you and carried you through those moments. Brothers and sisters, we have to remember God is always with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Such such a truth reminds us that our hope is anchored to the fact that God has promised 
to always be with us. And that leads me to my sermon in a sentence this morning. You see, while never promising the elimination of suffering, or deprivation, or difficulties, the Lord's presence assures the child of God that he or she will never be abandoned and separated from his love. Some of you are in some dark places right now. Some of you, some of you know what it means to feel darkness and defeat and sadness and anger and pain and helplessness. And the truth is you can't look back upon your life right at this very moment and understand all that has happened to you. And you quite honestly don't know what the future holds as well. The fact is, you are not sure where you're, what path you're on or where it's taken you. If that's you, I want you to consider that God never abandons his children. Regardless of what you're facing. The presence of God is just as near to you right now as it has ever been. In fact, the same presence that, that Joseph experienced is what the Apostle Paul writes about in the book of Romans, chapter 8. Where he asked this question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? And then he says this, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, it was, it was the same Jesus who left his home in heaven and came to earth in the form of a bondservant, in the form of a slave. And he, like Joseph, was lied about and he was convicted of trumped up charges of which he was not guilty. And he was ultimately crucified on a Roman cross. And on that cross, as the sky turned as black as night, Jesus cried out, my God. God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, on the cross, Jesus bore the full weight of our sin and he experienced the horror of being forsaken so that we might be freed from the penalty of our sin and never be forsaken. That is the love that the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans 8. And if you do not know that love, if you have never humbled yourself before the Lord Jesus Christ and confessed your sin and trusted in him to save you, I want you to know that offer is available to you. The Bible clearly declares that all who will come to him, he will in no wise cast out. Mercy and grace, pardon and salvation are available to you today through Jesus. And if you belong to him, if you are his child, then I want you to know you can cling to that promise that he will always be with you. Whether you're on the mountaintop or you're in the valley, you can trust him. Just as his presence was with Joseph, God's presence will be with you. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the fact that we know of all the things that we be we don't know in our lives and Lord there are many things that we don't know the one thing that we can be assured of is that you are with us you will steadfastly be with us every step of our journey 
And you have promised that you will be with us even into eternity, that one day you will bring us into your very presence. I'm grateful for that promise that you have given us that is ours to claim through the death of Jesus Christ. By his resurrection, we know that he has been victorious. So we give him glory and honor today. My prayer this morning is that you would encourage the hearts of the saints who are here this morning who may be struggling with where they are. My prayer is also that you would bring conviction upon those who are not believers today. Your Holy Spirit would speak to them and cause them to humble themselves before you. This is my prayer, and I pray it in Christ's name.